a number of years ago, my family uh, took a vacation back to my home state of California, where, where I now live, but at the time we were living in New York City, so anytime we could get away from New York and go back to the sunny skies of California, it was a welcome venture. And while there, we decided to spend a day at a, at a water park up in the local mountains not far from, from where we were staying, and the water park had all sorts of slides and you know, various lake activities. My boys were excited. Of course, I have three boys, uh, Jude, who's 16 now, John, who's 15, and Lincoln, who's 10. And of course, Jude and John, uh, at the time, this is probably their 12, 13, something like that. Uh, you know, they, they're only a year and two weeks apart. They are uh, very, very competitive. And they've been very, very competitive like Jacob and Esau ever since they've come out of the womb. This is just the way they are. And so we, we line up to purchase our passes at the entryway. And uh, naturally, they have a height requirement before you get in. And here's the thing about my two oldest boys. My middle son has always been just a few inches taller than my oldest son. Oh, like I said, they're competitive. And my oldest son has found unique and fun ways to make sure that he can tower over my middle son, even if not by height. Nevertheless, this was going to be a moment where it was clearly seen that my middle son was the bigger one. And so he went first for the height requirement, and he made it with a couple inches to spare. And I saw it as if in slow motion, like he walked past the height requirement, and my middle son had this this smile on his face of glee, not just because he was in, but because he knew he was going to show up his brother. And sure enough, my oldest son steps up to the height requirement, and I can see, I know that he's just short. I mean, just short of the requirement. And, you know, I mean, this is like life-altering stuff. Like, there's... There's no way that this isn't going to be permanently psychologically damaging to my oldest son if his little brother is allowed in and he is not allowed in. I mean, there's no way we're going in at all. Like, we're just canceling the day if this is about to happen. But I don't want to do that either because I pumped this day up for my boys. And so in this split second, I am in this terrible conundrum wondering what I'm going to do Well, my oldest son sits there worried that he's not going to measure up and therefore not get in. Well, I I wonder if after you hear a parable like Tony just read about the sheep and the goats, about God at the end of days putting the goats on one side and the sheep on one side. I wonder if you've ever feared that when push comes to shove, you're not going to measure up and you're going to be found to be a goat after all. (coughs) 
And if you have wondered that, and I guess even if you haven't, how do you know if you if you actually will be declared on the right side when it's all said and done? How do you know you'll be found to be a sheep? Because we all want to be on that side of the equation when this happens. I mean, the end doesn't look very pleasant for the goats. There's no way you slice it. The description is terrifying. So how do we figure that out? What makes you measure up? Well, I, I suppose one of the answers we could give is that it depends on our doctrine, on what it is we believe, what it is we teach. And surely doctrine is important. There's no way around that. I mean, we, we, we need to believe right things about God. Uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived, that He died, that He rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, that the God revealed in the pages of Scripture is, is actually true, that it's accurate. Yes, yes, that is extremely important. Unlike some out there that would say, well, let's downplay doctrine because it will divide. I happen to be one of those that thinks, no, no, we need to, we need to affirm strong, solid, sound doctrine because it also unites and gives us an accurate picture of who God is and therefore causes us to worship God in spirit and truth, which is what Jesus says he wants. So doctrine is really significant. But, as important as it all is, I am going to suggest to you that it is not ultimately what separates the sheep from the goats. I mean, even in this parable, you might have noticed both sheep and goats refer to Jesus with the proper title. They at least appear to have the right doctrine as to who he is. Lord, when did we? Is what they say. But make no mistake, they both know he's Lord. All that to say, it's possible, it is possible for one to intellectually sort of have the right answers about God, to know how to fill in the right bubble in a multiple-choice test about the Lord, and yet still not actually be a follower of the shepherd. That is possible. A while back I was listening to a show on uh, NPR called The Moth Radio Hour, and this this is a show where it's just people usually standing up in front of a small crowd telling a story from their own lives. Usually it's uh it's funny, but it's not always funny. Sometimes it has a real serious over sort of overarching point. Uh and and one story on that show caught my attention in particular because uh the man who was telling it clearly knew the Christian scene well. All of the lingo and the language he was using was very Christianese. He was using all the buzzwords. And it turned out, as the story went on, that he revealed he was the child of some Baptist missionaries, uh, and was extraordinarily gifted at apologetics and evangelism. And he described how he had different strategies of engagement for different sorts of people he'd meet. And 
And he told of how many people he actually led to say the sinner's prayer with him and to come to Jesus. And yet, as he was telling the story, I could hear this sort of tension in his voice. I mean, you could tell that you were going to get sort of a mic drop moment or something surprising at the end. After all, it's a story. It's supposed to kind of reel you in. And, And sure enough... The man went on to tell the crowd, in spite of all of his knowledge about apologetics and evangelism, about how to lead people to Jesus, that he, in fact, did not believe in Jesus himself and would not call himself a Christian. And so, as important as doctrine is, and again, yay, doctrine, I'm a fan. It's not what we can say is what separates the sheep from the goats in the final analysis. That's not what does it. Well, then, I I guess the most obvious answer would be from the parable, and this one seems to be real clear, is that it's got to be our works. It's got to be. I mean, this parable seems to be teaching it as clear as day. And, I mean, man, Oshevitz, the Bible is replete with all sorts of references to the importance of good works. Throughout the entire scripture, there are calls to obey God's law, to walk uprightly, justly, and compassionately, to worship God precisely, is really an important mark of Christian truth. I mean, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it would seem that our works will matter the most on that last day in determining whether you measure up or not. At least at one time, that was certainly the view of Keith Green. Some of you all know Keith Green. You remember Keith Green? He was... uh, he was one of the early performers in the contemporary Christian music scene in the uh, in the seventies. Immensely talented. Some of the some of his songs are still sung in churches all throughout the world today. Oh Lord, you're beautiful is sort of you know his most famous one, I think. Uh, but one of his songs that caught my attention some years ago, I, I was a big, key, I, I had a, a phase where I was just listening to Keith Green all the time, and he actually had a song about this parable called. The sheep and the goats. That's what it was called. And and the song was really simple. It was basically him barely singing just the words of this parable. It was almost like him kind of just reading the words of this parable over music. And he was a pianist, of course. And so when he was talking about the sheep, he has this really upbeat sounding piano sound. I, I'm not going to do it justice, but it's kind of like, you know, it's real, woo, you know, real excitable. And the sheep are going to go to heaven. And there's this great joy in the sound of the piano. And then it switches to the goats. And it sounds like an entirely different song. And it's real dour. Like kind of like a video game. Like when your Mario's going to face Cooper or something. You know, it's a really dark, dour sound. When he talks about the goats. And what I remember most about the end of the song is at the very end, he says these words. 
And according to these scriptures, the only difference between these two is what they did and didn't do. And he closes the piano. That's certainly a part of what separates the sheep and the goats in our parable. Jesus is very clear about that. The sheep are those that feed and clothe and visit and minister to the least of these. And in doing so, minister to our Lord. It really is a phenomenal use of language too that Jesus uses to identify with the weak and seemingly worthless among us. I mean, I, I, I really have always loved that. So it, it is true that if one is a Christian, that, that good works will happen. And then on the other hand, when Jesus does describe the goats, what does he say about them? They, they're, they're those that did not do any of that ministering to the least of these. So, again, it can't be denied. These are important indicators of the faith, as Paul and James and others will say over and over again. But, again, the question we're seeking to answer here is what ultimately separates the sheep from the goats, the Christian from the non-Christian. And again, it would seem that the rest of the Bible, indeed, even this passage gives us reason to doubt that works is in fact what ultimately separates us from God. I mean, for starters, the Bible says over and over again that we are saved, will be saved, will go to heaven based on faith apart from our works. Ephesians 2, 9, 2 Timothy 1, 9, Titus 3, 5, Romans 3, 20. I could go on and on. It says in Romans 3, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. On top of this, even looking at our passage where works seem to be given such prevalence, please notice something about these works. The sheep are surprised that their works are even noticed at all. In fact, they didn't realize they had done anything. Look again, what what do they say? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? The sheep are those blown away that the king even noticed anything they did at all. On the other hand, interestingly enough, the goats, the ones who are separated from God, actually are relying on their works. Read it closely then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and 
did not minister to you. Do you hear the underlying assumption? When didn't we minister to you? They are the ones who Jesus speaks of in another passage that come to him on the last day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I did all the things. I did a bunch of good. And they hold up their good. And they hold up their works. And they say, look at all that I did. And what does Jesus say to them? I will declare to them, I never knew you. In fact, it is precisely those who think they're doing enough that have the problem. That's the issue. Well, so then what? I mean, you know, we've sort of determined that ultimately what separates the sheep from the goats isn't, it's not the works. Uh, I, I hope we've made, made that clear and, and it's not even our sound doctrine. Well, then it, it has to be. It, there's nothing else left. I mean, it, it's going to have to be, well, grace through faith that separates sheep and goats. Now, your first response to me saying that might be, well, duh, of course you're going to say that. You've been saying that all morning. You and Dan seem to really be on that gravy train. That's true. We are unabashedly and unashamedly. And you might say, well, I know the Bible says that in other parts, but I, I, I'm not seeing it in this parable. And you know what? I, I get that. At first glance, when I read this story, I mean, and this was the case for me for years, I was always puzzled at how to interpret it in light of the rest of the Bible's insistence that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But I, I think I think God in His mercy turned the light bulb on for me at some point in regard to this story. Look at what Jesus says to the sheep in verse 34. Before He mentions any works at all, He says first, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, spoken well of by My Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now stick with me here. I promise I have a point, but you're going to have to stick with me for a bit. When was the kingdom prepared for the sheep according to what Jesus says here? From the foundation of the world. The word foundation is another way of saying even before the creation of the world. So, So, before any works had been done, good or bad, what was God doing? Preparing a place for His sheep. Now listen to Ephesians 1 with me. Quote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of what? His glorious grace. Well, what am I saying? What I'm saying is that the sheep become sheep first and foremost, not because of what they do, but because of God's grace meted out for them in their lives, begun before the world was even created. That's ultimately what got my son into the water park that day. We stood there at the sign. I'm looking at him in that split second, seeing that he's just a quarter inch under the line. And I'm looking directly at the young attendant in the eyeballs, probably saying silently, but oh so clearly, I will murder you if you don't let him in. But nevertheless, like afraid that he's like a stickler for the rules. And instead he said, looks good to me. Go on in. That's grace. By the very rule, he wouldn't have been allowed in, but he was shown grace. What makes you a sheep, first and foremost, is such grace. So what are we said to be doing to get this kingdom prepared for us, according to Jesus? Well, we're said to simply be inheriting the kingdom. What happens in an inheritance? Well, to the inheritor, he or she is given something just because of their relationship to someone. To inherit is to receive. And if you want a synonym for faith, receive works just fine. So I think faith oftentimes is talked about as something you do. I've heard it even preached this way. The grace is God's part. Faith is your part. But no, that's not the way the Bible speaks about it at all. It turns out that it's all God's part. It's amazing. The way that God presents this whole thing is like, hey, you guys are sinners who need salvation, and the only way you're going to get it is if I'm gracious to you. So here's some grace. And he says, but you need to believe it in order to receive it, but you don't have the ability to believe it in your own strength. So here's some faith. How good is God that he gives literally everything from start to finish to make you into his sheep? Yes, that is what God does, and you are just inheritors of it, receivers. Now, one more thing. What, what usually has to happen before 
to the one who is giving the inheritance away? Well, usually, they die. Let me take you again to Ephesians 1. That same passage that says God chose us before the foundation of the world and it was all because of His glorious grace. Well, that same passage goes on to say this. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Through His death. And what does it go on to say in that same passage? In Him, we have obtained a what? An inheritance. Just like those sheep were promised. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, God is gracious to you and redeems you by the blood of His Son, giving you the inheritance of eternal life. And from that place then, God uses His sheep to do good to the least of these. But don't ever think that the good you end up doing to the least of these is what justifies you in His sight. That's always from start to finish His grace to you. But it will produce things. God will produce good works in you And most of the time, like the sheep, you won't be conscious of them. You won't even know that you've done them. There's going to be so much, I'm convinced of this, there's going to be so much that that you're told was done through you when you finally arrive in heaven that you'll be like, I don't remember that. But he will have done it. You've probably not heard the name Alan Law before, I'm sure, but he is yet another example of a dictum I once heard, which goes something like this. Rarely are the famous good, and rarely are the good famous. Anyhow, uh, Alan Law has garnered himself the nickname the Sandwich Man. Why? Because every night, and I mean literally every single night of his life since he retired 16 years ago, he has gone out from midnight to noon That's 12 hours in the inner city of Minneapolis, handing out sandwiches and other supplies to the homeless population of the city. Last year alone, Alan Law personally handed out 520,000 sandwiches, 2,000 blankets, 3,000 pairs of socks, and other supplies to those in need. He has an apartment filled with 17 freezers full of his supplies, And each night he only sleeps about two to four hours. Why does Alan Law do these things that really are kind of descriptive of what Jesus says sheep will do? Well, because first he's been born again through the power of the gospel. As he says, I truly believe God put me on this earth to help the poor now. You see, it is his faith that then has overflowed into an outpouring of love for the least of those around him. So yes, he'll do, he'll do things through you, God will. But none of those things will save you. He'll do those things through you because he has saved you. 
All right, let me wrap this thing up. And I mean it. I mean it. I'm not just saying the preachery thing. There's one more detail we need to take care of here in regard to these goats, and that is where, the, where, where they end up. L- listen to Jesus. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That sounds awful. And it is. Never-ending fire. Nevertheless, even in these words of condemnation, I do hear hope. You say, well, that's, uh, that's novel. But here's why. Please notice the difference between who each of these places were prepared for in our parable. When Jesus speaks to the sheep, he says, this place is prepared for you. Eternal life has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. But look at who the eternal fire was prepared for. He doesn't, he doesn't say it was prepared for the goats. Unlike the sheep, this place was prepared for you. He doesn't say, go into the eternal fire that was prepared for the goats before the event. No, no. He only says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. What's the, what's the point? The place where the goats are going is not a place they were ever meant to go. The place where they're going wasn't prepared for them. And in fact, they don't have to go there. Why? Because here is the greatest miracle of them all. And I'm living proof of it, by the way. Our God is so powerful that He's able to transform goats into sheep. That's what He's doing up until the last day. Because all of us naturally fit the description of a goat perfectly. But God in His grace, yes, is able to transform even that really goaty person that you're thinking about. Yes, yes, He's able to transform them into sheep. Again, I was one. So, you sheep, trust in your shepherd not only to bring you to the place that he's prepared for you before the foundation of the world, but but to bring a whole lot of others that you might think have no chance right now to place to the place that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world by his grace through faith. Amen. 